Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. So um, we are going to be in Nehemiah chapters 2 and 3. If you uh, weren't here the last time that I preached, which was, I don't know, nine months ago, a long time ago, it's, we have, you know, we have our, our Pastor Aaron who, who preaches on a regular basis, and then we have Pastor Jeff who's there to fill in. So they don't give me a lot of time. And so, um, so I take it if I can get it. Um, I love the opportunity to, to uh, teach the Word of God. But let me, we're going to continue from where we left off. So let me give you a quick recap of where we left off in chapter one, the beginning of chapter two. Um, first of all, we realized that Nehemiah was extraordinary. Wait, no, we decided he was extraordinary. He was a regular guy who worked hard at what he worked hard at. When he set his mind on something, he would take it seriously and move towards that. And that's uh, what we saw and what we talked about in the first couple chapters of Nehemiah. Uh, he heard that Jerusalem was in bad shape. Uh, he spent the next three to four months fasting and praying, uh, mourning and weeping, seeking God as to what he could possibly do about it from where he was. And then when the opportunity came, he was ready. The king, his boss, asked why he was sad. And he was ready with an answer. It says that he gave a quick pr prayer, and then he unfolded a very detailed plan as to what he thought could be done for Jerusalem. And the king told him that he, uh, to make it happen, he gave him his blessing, he gave him helps with funds, with letters to make sure that he had the passage to get there, that once he got there, he would have the lumber to, uh, to do the construction. He had the support that, he would was, that was needed. So here's, here's the thing. You're sitting here thinking, I wish I could do something big for God like Nehemiah. But then when an opportunity comes along that you feel strongly about, as Nehemiah did, you spend more time complaining about the situation than you do weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. We think, wow, that really, it's really bad that, that that's happening. I wish somebody would do about it. Hey, so anybody watching? There's no football this week. It's next week. Right? But we just move on with our lives. We, there's, oh, this is really sad that this thing is taking place. Hey, how about, and we, we just move on. Do we spend that time? Because we think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's all the way in Jerusalem. Right? Nehemiah wasn't in Jerusalem. He was, he was off serving a pagan king. But he, he took it seriously. He didn't say, I got to do something about it. I'm running to Jerusalem. No, he, he, he sought God. And, but when the opportunity presented itself, when the king said, Nehemiah, what's, what's troubling you? He was ready. He was ready with a plan. It doesn't say in scripture that he, he came up with a plan, but it says it, if you read it, because when the king asked, what do, you, what, do you, what do you want? He unfolded a very detailed plan of what he wanted. Something tells me that didn't just pop into his head after three to four months of praying. No, he was ready. Are we ready? We want to do extraordinary things for God, but we're not even willing to do the ordinary 
or something extraordinary for God. Maybe I'm not talking about you. Maybe you guys are all great. I'm sure you are. But we, we just complain that life isn't fair, that situations are bad, and that somebody needs to do something. But we don't take it personally. See, Nehemiah was not the right person for the job of rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He wasn't a, a construction guy. He was the cupbearer for the leader of, of uh, the uh, pagan nation. Um, he became, though, the leader of the rebuilding project because he took seriously a cause that was important to him. He wasn't qualified. He was called. But he was called because he pursued See, because that's where that's, we will say, well, if God tells me to do it, I'll do it. But do we spend any time pursuing God to find out if we're supposed to do something about it? See, I'm sure in a, to a certain extent, Nehemiah said, if God wants me to do something about it, I'll do it. And that moment came when he stood before the king and the king said, you're sad, Nehemiah. Why? And then he was like, this is the opportunity. At that moment, the opportunity presented itself but before that, he prepared himself. So when the opportunity presented itself, he was ready. Are you pursuing God in whatever that, that passion is? Whatever that thing that aches inside of you. When you, when you hear about uh, the, the orphans or, or the widows, those are two specifically that, that scripture tells us we need to care about. But anyway, but whatever happens to be, the homeless, the brokenhearted, the imprisoned, like all of those, when we, when we hear about those, are we, are we pursuing God? Are we saying, well, I, I don't know anything about rebuilding walls, so I guess that one's not mine. Or are we saying, this one hurts for some reason. God, what do you want me to do with it? How do I help this? How do I fix this? Where, how, am I, how are you using me in a situation that seems so outside of my realm? I'm not anywhere close. I have no expertise. And he, but that was Nehemiah. He, was, he wasn't qualified. He was called. He was called because he pursued. And he knew the calling because he prayed and he sought God's face. He planned and he prepared behind the scenes. So he was ready when the opportunity arose. Now really though, as we move into today's text, starting in chapter 2, verse 11. There's really, I said two, but really three types of people that we see today in this. There's the Nehemiah, right? But then there's everybody else. And though we would all love to be, maybe you wouldn't, but though we would all love to be the Nehemiah, you know, we'd love to lead this amazing project that, that accomplishes a mighty works for God. Most of us are going to be the everybody else in the situation. But I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that. Right? So I'm going to just use the fact that this is my second time preaching. So apparently I didn't do the worst the first time. Um, and, but it's once a year, right? I love being, I love preaching the word of God, guys. I would love to do it every day, right? But you know what? That's not my role here. My role is to support our leadership team and be there when they need me. Right? I'm not Pastor Aaron. 
I'm just a guy that sits in the church, works with the children's ministry, you know, helps out and uh, hands out Bibles every now and again, right? And so, so that's most of us. We're, we're, we're the crowd, but the crowd is essential, as we'll see, for Nehemiah to accomplish what he accomplishes. And then the third type of person, because I did say there was two, the third is just the opposition. Those that are just mad at everything that happens. And we'll see them a little bit in our, our account today. So let me read. Let me pray now, now that that's my recap uh, from, from the beginning. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into chapter 2, verses, I'm going to start with 11 through 16. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity that um, I've been given uh, to speak your truth, your word to your people. And Lord, I pray that it's, it's you that speaks through me. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the hearts of, of each and every one of us this morning are open to what you have for us. Whether we're supposed to be a Nehemiah or one of the crowd, show us, God, the things that we need to be passionate about, the things that we need to weep and mourn and fast and pray about so we can be ready when the opportunity is in front of us to serve you for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. It says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. All right, so Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. He's there for three days, and he hasn't revealed his plans to anyone. Not the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Why? Well, as much as we saw when he was still away, his planning that he did and his praying and his seeking God, he hadn't actually seen the damage. He didn't know what was happening. He had a plan to rebuild the wall. He had never seen the wall. He didn't see what the broken down wall looked like. And so he didn't really have a plan. He had a plan to get there and to fix it once he got there, but now he had to really figure out what the blueprints were of it. So now he has the actual evidence of what the city looks like. He'd heard about it, but he hadn't seen it. So now it was time to do more research more planning. 
Have you ever had a great idea and immediately you told somebody about it? Right? You're so excited. And, you, and you're like, oh, I've got I've to tell somebody. And you tell them, and instead of that great response of support that you were expecting, their answer is, oh, that can never happen. How are you going to possibly accomplish that? Well, the idea is like a minute old. You haven't put any planning into it, but they've, complete, they've just crushed it right off the bat. Right? Remember when uh, the, uh, the spies were sent in? God said, go in and take a look at the land that I'm going to give you. He, God didn't say, go in and take a look at the land to see if I can give it to you. He said, go in and take a look at the land that I am going to give you. They come back, the 12 spies come back out, and everyone's like, oh, there's no way we're going to take it. And then Joshua, right, he says, no, God has given it to us. Let's go. And, and everyone's, oh, no, we can't do that because the other 10 said that it was not possible. Right? Have you, we, those well-meaning people in our lives can stop us from a great vision, a great idea, because we shared it too soon. So Nehemiah doesn't tell the people what he's going to do. He doesn't come into the city and say, listen, I know I haven't been here, and I don't really have any idea what's happening, but this is what's happening. I'm taking over. I'm in charge now. I'm the captain now. No, he just shows up. He looks around, chats with people, does his, his analysis of the situation before he shares it with anybody. Nehemiah didn't tell many people his plans. He had, said he had three people with him. When, in the first, when he was back home in the first few months after he had originally heard of it, we don't know that he told anyone his plans. We just know that he would talk to God about it. He kept it, he kept it close as he was trying to figure it out. Be careful who you tell your plans to. Be careful who you tell your ideas to. But at the same time, Scripture tells us to seek godly counsel. So Nehemiah, when he gets to Jerusalem, it said there was three men. Something tells me these men were people that Nehemiah could trust. These were people that were, were in it with him. And so they do this analysis. And now they're coming up with the actual plan, the, the building plan. They analyze the situation, and now it's, now it's time for the big reveal. Then I said to them, you see the, the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire come and let us build the wall of jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach and i told them of the hand of my god which had been good upon me and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me so they said let us rise up and build then they set their hands to do this good work see when he revealed it to the crowd he had a well-developed plan He's not asking if this thing is going to work. He is leading. He's telling them what they are about to accomplish. The hand of God has led him this far. The favor of the king has helped advance the plan. The plan is in place, and we are going to accomplish the task. He didn't ask if they were going to do it. He told them they were going to do it. He was all in. He wasn't asking. 
he was leading. He was just asking who was with him. I think many times we want to lead, but we haven't committed ourselves yet. And people can tell that. Let me give you a scenario. If, if I said, you know, I'd really like to go to the beach. Would you go with me? How committed do I sound? What if instead I said, after church today, I'm going to the beach. Who's in? I know it's probably a bad day to use that example. <laughs> but what's the difference? The first one, I may or may not go. It depends on you. So I'm not actually the leader in the situation. You are. I'm just starting the conversation. Would you go to the beach? I want to go to the beach. Would you go to the beach? And if you say yes, then I'm in. So you're the leader, not me. You think if we did, you know, if we did an outreach ministry, would you, would you do an outreach ministry with me? If I did one, would you do it? No. The, the leadership here, Pastor Jeff, I, I think spearheaded this, but they said, we're going to go to the farmer's markets. Who's in? We're doing the Godmobile. Who's in? You don't have to say, well, I guess I'll do it if you want. And then he says, okay, I guess we'll do it. No, that's, that's leadership. And, and, some, and, and going to the beach, maybe it, doesn't, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't matter. But if you want to go to the beach, go to the beach. And you know what will happen? People will go with you because you're leading, because you're committed. Nehemiah was committed to the task at hand. He'd analyzed the situation. He'd planned. He'd prepared. He was all in. If he was doing this himself, he was doing it. But what did they say? He said, he, he said here's, here's what's happened. Here's how God has guided me and directed me to this path. Here, has, as I've revealed these plans to different people, here's the success that I've already had. Here's the plan to rebuild the wall. Who's in? And they said, let us rise up and build. I can just imagine like the excitement in the crowd. Like, yeah, we can do this. We can take our city back. But it didn't happen because Nehemiah was like, well, I think if we probably had the resources right, we might be able to do it. Mm. Does anybody here know anything about construction? Because I think we probably need somebody that knows about construction. All I know how to do is drink non-poison. Right? His job was just to drink for the king and not die. There's a big difference in how we lead or how we follow in the position of a leader. How we're waiting for the followers to make the decision for us. One shows the commitment. The other is just a follower asking someone to lead. And they responded to Nehemiah, let us rise up and build. So then... But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. See, there's always the opposition. 
Well, you can't go to the beach today, it's raining. Right? That would be dumb. Who would do that? You can't, do, you can't go to a fair and tell people about Jesus. Nobody's going there because they want to hear about Jesus. They're going there for the cotton candy and the fried bread dough. But see, Nehemiah knew what he was doing. He had got the buy-in of his people because, because he had 100% buy-in. And so then when they say, when the opposition comes up, you can just say, just back up. But, but I love his answer, though. He says, the God, first of all, they said, you can't do this. You're rebelling against the king. And he's like, the king actually sent me here. Um, but he says, the God of heaven himself will prosper, prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But then, I love this part, he says, you will have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. He's saying, we will win, and you won't even get to be a part of it. Because you know what happens sometimes is the opposition. The opposition, at some point, when they see the odds are uh, uh, not in their favor anymore, they become a part of your team. Oh, yeah, no, no, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't against you. I was just... I was just asking questions because I thought it was going to be hard. I was trying to be, you know, the devil's advocate. So that way I, I wanted to make sure you knew everything you were getting yourself into. Oh, I've always wanted you to succeed. And, and, and I feel like Nehemiah here is saying, just so you know, when the time comes when you're going to want to switch teams and be on our team because we're winning, you're not welcome. But so, so we've talked here about Nehemiah and his leadership and his commitment. And again, I told you at the beginning, most of us aren't Nehemiah, right? Most of us are the rest of the crowd. So what I want to do is I have a video for you guys. It's a three-minute video on uh, leadership and followership, if you will. Um, sit and listen, um, and uh, you might get a kick out of it. But, uh, and then I'll, I'll talk more about Nehemiah. Um, and the followers of Nehemiah um, after our short video. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. So it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point, and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. 
If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute, you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. So, full disclosure, um, I, I saw that video for the first time um, earlier this week, uh, and to be completely honest with you, I cried. Um, I just think that video is so powerful. Um, it's that, now, it doesn't, it doesn't match 100% of the time. Nehemiah wasn't a shirtless dancing guy, right? But that guy was leading, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if anyone was dancing with him. He was all in. That's Nehemiah, right? And then he has the, the first couple people, which are so important to have those first couple people to support you. And then more people just keep coming. If that song didn't stop, they'd still be dancing there today. We would probably, uh, we would probably be, be joining the crowd, right? Because at some point, it became more problematic to stay out of the circle than to go into it. At the beginning, you couldn't be, you know, like, oh, I don't want to dance next to him. Like, this is weird, right? I'm going to look like a fool. But then by the end, you looked like a fool if you weren't there. And so this is Christianity. There was one guy, and he passed away. And then there were 11 disciples who were willing to stake their lives, literally, on their cause. And it is still growing. The momentum of their willingness to stand alone has exponentially grown throughout the generations. And we have the size of Christianity that we have today because of it. So looking, looking back of those three types of people, there was the leaders and the followers and the opposition. We see that in our video. So now I want to talk a little bit about the followers. The leader in that video, Nehemiah, all in. Whether or not anyone followed. He wasn't leading because people were following. People were following because he was leading. Right? Right? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't 
leading because people were following. People were following because he was leading. But the thing is, we don't need a bunch of Nehemiahs. We need what we're about to read in chapter 3. All right, so now, if you've looked ahead and you know what chapter 3 is, it's a list of names. You ready? I'm going to read, and I'm going to move fast. Because I want to, I can't skip over it because there's important parts in there that I need you to hear. So I'm going to read right here. If don't, don't worry about it. If you, if you lose your space, just listen. If I mispronounce names, which I will, don't judge me. But we're going to go, all right? If I'm going too fast for you, it's okay. I just need you to hear it. I don't need you to catch everything. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the Tower of Henanel, next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Also, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its barge. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Benah, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their lord, the opposition. Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Pesiah, and Meshalam, the son of Basoida, uh, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and Mispah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, leader of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth. Haramoth, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashbaniah, made repairs. Malkajah, the son of Haram, and Hashub, the son of Pahath. Moab repaired another section as well, well as the Tower of the Ovens. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halahesh, leader of half-district of Jerusalem. And he and his daughters made repairs. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Melchizedek, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Herakim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kol Hazah, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and its bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shalah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of the half tribe of district of Beth Zur made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool and as far as the house of the mighty. I'm going to stop there. You, you guys all kept up, right? No mispronunciations. Pretty sure you saw, you heard that. I'm going to stop there, but I, I wanted to make sure we got a good crowd, a good group there, because I want there's there's some there's some le lessons here of the follower that we need to learn, that we need to hear. What did we learn? First of all, everybody helped. Did you hear in there, and then as you keep reading in chapter 3, some of the people who helped? The high priest. That was the first one. The high priest helped. The goldsmiths, the perfumers, the merchants, the gatekeeper, district leaders, uh, Levites, men of the plains, men and women. They all helped. So you can't say, well, that's not my specialty. I'm not really a gate-building kind of guy. You think the perfumer was a gate-building kind of guy? 
You think the, the high priest was a gate-building kind of guy? Everybody helped accomplish the task that was before them because it was that important. There was some opposition. We did see that. I pointed that out in there. There was one group of nobles that were like, no, we're not. We're too good for this. You're always going to have your... I only mentioned one person, one kind of group that, was, that didn't want to work. And I, I feel like they mentioned that to make you understand that some people just won't buy in. There's always going to be some people that just don't see things the way that you see things. When you're trying to accomplish something, some people just won't follow. But did they focus on those people? No, instead he talks about all of the other people. And, and, and they named them. Folks, this is the part two. We, we know Nehemiah, he's the leader. But did you see those names? All those people got named just for helping. They got written, their name gets mentioned in the Bible for all of us to read hundreds, thousands of years later because they helped. They just built a little bit of the wall. They hung the, the doors, the gates, the bars. They did a little bit for the cause. Don't, don't miss that. Just because you're not leading something doesn't mean you're not so important that God wouldn't remember your name. God knows that you're serving where you're serving. He knows your name. He knows what you're doing because it's important. Following is important. So, Everybody helped. So I want you, I want you to, to be like Nehemiah. And, and what's that burden that you have inside of you? And what are you, what are you doing with that? But I also want you to, to recognize that there's other people that have a task before them that we must rise up and build with them. And don't say, well, that's not really my expertise. Great, that makes you perfect for the job. The second thing we see is there's leaders within the followers. Oh, many times we'll see that the names of people that led a district. And so you can see that, that these leaders of their districts, first of all, got their hands dirty and did the work. And then their districts helped because they led within their following. You can be a leader as a follower. A great, a great leader is a great follower. And so you can use your influence within your smaller group of people to help the greater cause. Isn't that the local church? Ultimately, our objective here isn't to make Calvary Chapel Naples great. It's to lift up the name of Jesus. But we're doing that on a local level because we can't reach everybody here, but we can work in our sphere of influence for the greater good, the kingdom of God. And if every church is doing that, doing their part, 
using their sphere of influence, their abilities to lead and to follow, we can have success. Another thing that we see is some people built right in front of their house. It says, uh, beyond the horse gates, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. Some people didn't have to travel anywhere. But in verse 22, after him, the priest, the men of the plain made repairs. Some people didn't even live in the city. They left their home. They went to Jerusalem, to the city, to build the gates. Right? So sometimes we think of the, the foreign missionary going off and telling people about Jesus. Great! What about the local missionary who's going into their front yard to tell people about Jesus? We can see both of those. Serve where you are. Serve somewhere else. For the success of the wall, they had both. Everybody helped. Everybody used their own sphere of influence to help the cause. Some traveled, some didn't travel. Some did extra. Uh, verse 8, uh, next to, also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. Verse 30, after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zelaph, repaired another section. So some people did more. Some people just went into their front yard and rebuilt the wall. Some people traveled distances. Some people did it in front of their front wall. And then they said, hey, I got the hang of that. I can go do that somewhere else. And just so you know, this one, a couple different people I mentioned in here that did another section, but this guy was a perfumer. You can't say, well, yeah, the construction guy, he did a couple extra sections because he's good at construction, the wall building guy. No, this was a perfumer, but for whatever reason, he caught on quickly. He liked it. Uh, he had some extra time on his hands, but he said, you know what? I have time to do another section. Everybody helped. They used their own sphere of influence. They traveled. They stayed close. They did more. Guys, this is Christianity. Right? The shirtless dancing guy, that crowd that showed up is Christianity. We all have a part to play. Who knows how long it took? We're not going to get into this. This is for the next time. <laughs> Who knows how long it took to rebuild the wall? Anybody? What's that? Liam? It's 52. Days. Days. Now it does say there's still some work to be done, but it's, it tells us in, it coming in, in, in the next time, come back in nine months, uh, it tells us that it worked, they moved fast. They accomplished the task at hand. And I just, I love this picture, guys, because of what it did. Because of, of how it all plays out. As much as this is about leadership, this is about the power of God. 
Because when, when a person and then a group of people are committed to the cause of Jesus Christ, amazing things can be done. But that doesn't mean you have to be Nehemiah, but you've got to be a part of it. You've got to have the commitment to put away the excuses. Well, I'm not really a wall builder. That's not really my thing. I don't really like that. I'm not good with people. I don't like to speak in public. I don't like children. Whatever it happens to be. I'm not saying I don't like children. I've got a house full of them. Whatever it happens to be, do it. Hardly as to the Lord and not to men. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But, you know, I, I look at the rebuilding of the wall, though. I want to just turn this real spiritual before I close. <laughs> After we've seen that video, I've got I've to bring this around. Um, your, Jesus is Nehemiah in your life, and you are the broken down city. Right? You... And maybe at some point in your life anyway, you're a mess. You were a mess. And you need somebody to step into your life and help you rebuild the wall. Because all of everything that I talked about, it starts with Jesus. And so this isn't just about doing good things for people. It's not just about rebuilding a wall. The, uh, the, this, is, this is an example of Christianity. This is what is happening. We're, we're taking, Jesus Christ came to take the broken and the burnt and the destroyed and the crumbling in your life and to make it whole again. And he does that by leading. He's not looking for you to see if you want to be fixed, even. He's not waiting for you to fix yourself. But he has accomplished the task. He's led the way. But the question then becomes, as he stands before you and says, what do you think? Do you want to be repaired? Will you say, let us rise up and build? Will you say, give me Jesus? Amazing things are being done in Calvary Chapel, Naples. I think if each one of you told us your story, amazing things are happening right now in your life. As you're following as you're leading your sphere of influence, your home. Take the lessons of Nehemiah. Not just of Nehemiah, but of the followers of Nehemiah. And amazing things can take place. But will you, will you say to Jesus, yes, I'm in? Or will you make your excuses? Will you be the opposition? Will you walk away? I'm going to pray. And then uh, it is Communion sun Sunday. We will be uh, taking communion together as a church. Uh, so let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll pass out the elements, and we'll, we'll share together what God is doing. Lord God, I thank you for 
I thank you for the example of your word in Nehemiah. And I pray, God, that you would make each and every one of us a follower. First and foremost, a follower of you, recognizing that our walls, our lives are broken down and we need somebody outside of us to come in and to rebuild the walls, to rebuild our life, to save us. And then, Lord, as a, as a church, help us to see what you have for us. Help us to serve where we can serve, close, far away, in our specialty, out of our specialty. And Lord, give each of us the desires and that, that purpose in our heart and the willingness and the, the drive to seek you and pursue you, that your work can be done for your kingdom and for your glory.